Let's doing episode 110. Jesse Kaplan of Parcel. Welcome to the Let's Doing podcast. Let's doing all living, all living, all living, all living. Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Hi, everybody. Okay. No, no, I'm here. I was just, uh, I, I think I, I fell off my chair listening to our, our intro. I love it so much. It's, it's, I have to really resist not uh, singing along to it. <laughs> How are you doing today, Felix? Not bad at all. Very good. Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, good. I'm good. Uh, it's uh, not too cold today, so uh, I'm good. All right. So right now on my desk, I have a requisition form for a hair test. Now, I don't know if I talked about this before. I'm, I'm going to have Wendy Myers on the show in a few weeks. Uh, she's got a website called Live to 110, and basically they do hair analysis for trace elements and heavy metals and stuff like that. And I, I've never done this before. You know, I, I've done so many different tests on myself. But I've never done one of these. And uh, I'm kind of fascinated to see what it shows. Because, you know, your hair, I mean, in my case, obviously, it's and your case, too, since we have very little hair on our heads, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. But for women uh, or for people who have long hair in general, you know, your hair is it's almost like a it's almost like a, a, a like an archaeological dig. Like the you know the hair that is at the end of the, the tips of your of a hair follicle is you know could be four months old, could be six months old. They can tell all sorts of information from your hair. Uh, so in in my case, I'm gonna have to do it from chest hair, which is not a problem. Uh, it's really funny when she sent me the test information. She's like, you know, I know you don't have a lot of hair on your head, so you could do chest hair or pubic hair. She's like, but I would refer, I would prefer chest hair. So so it has to be a certain length, is that it? Uh, no, it has, to, well, it has to be, uh, a, a half an inch or something or more. It's really, it, it you know, the, the short, the longer it is, I guess the more, the farther back they can go, but basically, oh, really? uh, I wow. think a half an inch is a minimum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's really interesting, but it's also, you know, the, it, it may not, and I, again, I don't know, I'm just guessing cause I haven't gone through the whole thing with her yet. Cause it, you'd send in the information and then, or you send in your hair and they do the sample and then you actually do a call with her. But my guess is that the the heavy metal toxicity stuff you don't necessarily care if you were exposed to it six months ago if you've been exposed to it a week ago that's a lot more important or within the last mm. month you know i see uh and likewise i would imagine if you had exposure six months ago and then it went away three months ago then that's also you know so you don't necessarily need to know about what happened before a certain amount of time that's right, my guess right. but we'll we'll see I, i'm gonna as, as, I'm, as i said i'm gonna have her on the show and uh, hopefully we'll discuss my results. Hopefully I don't have too much lead poisoning or something in my body. <laughs> well, you know, my sister's actually been doing this for quite a while in England. She was having some health issues a while back, and she sent in a hair, hair sample to this lady. I think her name's Jane Finzi. I'll try and find the link for the show notes. But um, totally fixed everything, and she recommended her to her friends and... Um, same deal. Uh, really, really impressive. Oh, that's really interesting. We should, yeah, we should, throw, um, we should add that into the uh, the show notes. But, but I think that this is actually a lot more popular in other countries, which is which is interesting. Um, and yeah, it, it does provide it does provide 
fascinating information. And also, there are ways to very effectively detoxify the body if you have been exposed to these kinds of things. But you, you really, you know, you need to know about it. So, uh, so, like for instance, someone like Ben Greenfield, who you know we've talked about before, has been on the podcast. For, uh, he's a good friend. He does a heavy metal detox once a year. It's just like part of his regime that he does. So. Cool. Uh, anyway, so we'll have a lot more information on that, I assume, and I'm I'm always excited to do new kinds of tests. <laughs> so, uh, I like your link, and I think that it's really relevant for for the weather and stuff. So, why don't you share that first? Sure. Well, this is a um, service called Plows and Mows, and it's an app, and it's a way that you can get um, plowing, um, snow plowing, on demand. So what you do is you just, you know, sign up on the app, fill out a few questions about your driveway, and you can then get snow plowing on demand. I filled it out, but I haven't actually needed to use it yet. We've had a little bit of snow, but not enough to plow. But I may well be using it, reporting back. And I think they also do lawn mowing. Yeah, and that's pretty typical. I, I, you know, for the people that do lawn mowing in the warm season, a lot of them do plowing in the in the cold season. So, uh, but that's great. You know, as as everyone knows, I love on demand apps, and you know, this is this is another good one. Yeah. So, thanks for sharing that. Um, okay, so there is a Indiegogo campaign for the. It's called the Petalite Flux. Now, the the marketing of it is a little bit off. But it is a cool device. So basically, it says 100% charge in 15 minutes. And now that's for the actual battery itself, isn't it? That's that's the thing. A lot of people have assumed that that meant that you can charge the phone in 15 minutes, but that's not true. Um, However, it's still good. This is a bit. So it's a battery pack. You can charge it in 15 minutes, and then it's uh, uh, it's it'll charge your your phone uh, or or whatever USB device you have you know, in, in whatever time it has. And, and I, I can tell you, I carry two battery backups with me at all times. And they're small cylinder ones that, you know, I know you can get the really big ones that'll last you like two days, but I have smaller ones. Just yeah, I carry some uh, in my, just in my backpack my the whole time as well. Yeah. yeah, so, but being able to recharge in 15 minutes is really, really cool. So I, I, what I'm finding, it's an interesting like subset of technology development. I don't know if you've seen this, Felix, or noticed this, but there are a lot of people working on making faster charging batteries. Okay. You know, like for, well, I, and we were just talking about this the other day, right, with the Tesla, you know, mm-hmm. how they, they're building factories to make batteries. Although we were talking to, oh, no, actually, one of the things that they're doing with Tesla is that they want to make it so that the batteries are so prolific that you can pull into a station and just swap out batteries. But uh, the other the other side of that is trying to make it so you can recharge as quickly as possible. And you know, there's a there's a lot of I guess thermodynamics and physics that goes into how quickly you can you know put stored electricity into a device. But that seems to be a, a big area of scientific development. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it would solve a lot of issues if you could store electricity. So, yeah. So anyway, that, it, it, that's a cool Indiegogo campaign. Uh, oh, and uh, and I, I've totally glossed over this, but the, the interview today is with Jesse Kaplan, who is the founder of Parcel. And Parcel is filling a really interesting void. It's just in New York City right now. But basically, if you don't have a doorman building or you, have a, you don't have a really good way to receive packages, you give them your Parcel address and the packages go there, and then they will deliver them to you between 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. in a one-hour window that you specify. So it's just a really interesting 
logistical solution. But I, the injury is great because we get into a lot of stuff about business growth, and his company has grown very, very quickly from you know him carrying packages in shopping bags himself, using his own texting to text people, to now having a, a real logistical system. And he mentions some s- services like uh, Routist and uh, Viamente, which are route planners. Uh, so these are like small companies can use these services that are very sophisticated, just like UPS might use or FedEx might use to route their vehicles to get the most efficient deliveries of things. It's really, it's really cool stuff. Wow. And, and yeah. And you know, on that note, actually, I'm, you know, I'm finding that logistics in itself is like a business, honestly. And these companies that usually cater to huge, huge, huge corporations, you're now able to get like, basic APIs that any company can use to try and figure these out and or to try and use these at least. So it's something like Routist where you can take something that might be simple like the most efficient path between two different places to make a delivery. Mm-hmm. This, this, and obviously this works for a lot more than two places. That's what's so interesting about it. So I think it's cool. And, uh, and also reminds me, by the way, this is ran- random, but there was a really great article that I think we talked about where uh, UPS doesn't make left turns. Did you see that? No, no. What was that? Okay. So the, well, the thing about the left turns, it makes sense. Like if you're waiting to make a left turn, like, you know, right turns are a lot easier, obviously, because you're not crossing lanes of traffic necessarily and all that stuff. So apparently in their routing, they really, really, really go out of their way to avoid making left turns. And even in the case of making a right and a right and a right to go around a block, they've found that it saved like millions of gallons of gas and time. It's really kind of fascinating. Wow. So, so maybe we should do anyway, that. That's a total. Yeah. Yeah. Stop making left turns. Total side note. Uh, there is a device I found, or it's a wearable called a BSX insight. And this is interesting. It's very, it's kind of specific, but if you're a hard charging athlete, like this is really interesting information. So it's the world's first wearable lactate threshold sensor and lactate, <laughs> Threshold is not how much breast milk you can drink. That's not what it means. <laughs> I, I didn't understand what this was exactly. I didn't understand it. So explain this lactate threshold. If you yeah, will. okay. So lactate threshold is, it, it, it's basically the science of you're measuring the limit, your limits over time. Okay, so, and it's all about intensity. Like as you build up in intensity, you're going to produce more and more lactic acid. And there is uh, a limit basically to how much lactic acid you can, you can handle in your blood. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's basically like that burning you feel when, you, when you're pushing really hard or running really oh, hard. Okay. And feeling or, yeah. Yeah. That's like lactic acid buildup, basically. And we all have a threshold where how much oxygen you can use in your blood and how much lactate, what you're, that's basically like what your lactate threshold is. And what, like, for instance, when I did a lactate threshold test, I was running on a treadmill wearing like a gas mask, basically. And it's measuring my breathing in of oxygen versus my exhaling of, of carbon dioxide. And it's, I mean, it's pretty intense scenario and um, I actually don't remember the last like two minutes of it because you're basically going to push yourself to uh, your limit until you you sort of bottom out so this is a wearable that you put on your calf okay. and it's basically going to be measuring in real time what your lactic threshold is based on uh, it's using lights to see your your uh, your blood oxygenation level so it, it's a it's a very specific metric but you can use it in a really interesting way because it allows you to train like some people train in heart rate zones, you know, so you'll train in like your, 
your fat burning zone or your cardio building zone or whatever it might be. But this right. this allows you to train at a very, very high level and, yeah. and really dial it in so that you can improve your fitness. Wow, that's really good. And so it will tell you when you're trying too hard, will it? Well, you're going to know, but you're basically, right, right. if you can be within like 5% of your limit and stay in that limit, in that range for a certain amount of time, you're going to really expand that. You're going to push it. And that's what you want. So sometimes it's hard to feel that out. Yeah. And the lactate tests that you do, like, like the one I just described on a treadmill, that's not really a training method. That's more just to give you a marker. Like this is where you're at. Okay. So this is something that's going to actually tell you in real time that you could push harder. Yeah. Okay. Pretty cool. That is very cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So there is an article on Mercola, Dr. Mercola's website about Brussels sprouts. Do you like Brussels sprouts? Well, I mean, I totally agree with this. It's one of those cases where I was put off Brussels sprouts from eating them at school because they're, you know, cooked appallingly. But, well, they were cooked appallingly. I mean, um, but I love, you know, grilled Brussels sprouts. Yeah. I've since had them and, and I very much like them. Yeah. So that, and I, I was like, I never had a Brussels sprout, I think until maybe five years ago or so. And it was just one of those things. Like I always, I just, I guess I always assumed I wouldn't like it, which is really stupid of course on my part, but uh, they're, they're really good for you. I, and, and I do love them too, by the way. One of the things that Anna does with them that I, I think is, is so good. She puts them in a Cuisinart and shreds them a little bit. So they're like chunked up oh, and okay. then puts them in the, and it, yeah, yeah, and then puts them in a cast iron pan to grill them, and then uh, with a little bit of sriracha. That is so good. Uh, but anyway, it's a cruciferous vegetable, just like broccoli, and apparently it's got even more power than broccoli in terms of lowering your risk of cancer. Yeah. And it actually will help you detoxify. It's good for you know. Speaking of those heavy metals we mentioned, it'll help you with detoxification, with uh, uh, breaking stuff down in your body that's not good for you. Wow. Yeah. Go for it, Brussels sprouts. So get on the Brussels sprouts. <laughs> That's right. Right. Get on those Brussels sprouts. Uh, and then there's just one last thing I want to mention here, and it's, it, it's going to be hard to explain. I just hope people will go to the link and check it out. But it's called putting, it says putting time in perspective. And it's, it's, a, it's just a, a bunch of different graphics showing proportionally certain things basically that have had like events and evolution and human life and stuff yeah. that have happened and, and putting it into a sort of a measurable amount of time. But it's, it's really interesting kind of to see how we've evolved and how things have changed and like how minuscule certain things are. And one that I, I've seen this before and I always love this though, but it's like the age of the universe and then the, like the present day and, and like the, the, the creation of the earth. And it's this tiny, tiny little yeah. sliver. There was a documentary. There was a documentary I saw when I was younger called eight minutes to midnight or oh, yeah. something. I think it was, I think it was eight minutes to midnight. It might've been like four minutes to midnight, but it was basically like if the, if the entire history of the universe was a 24 hour day, humans would have appeared at like, Oh no, it was like two minutes to midnight. Humans would have appeared at two minutes to midnight. Oh, wow. You know? So it's just, yeah, I it's, think it's really interesting. I love it's humbling, exactly. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's it. Let's so let's get to the interview. Thank you, everyone, for listening in and uh, for uh, for hearing us talk about hair follicles and, and Brussels sprouts. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Okay. Well, look, we'll uh, see you next time. 
And now for feature interview. So now I'm speaking with Jesse Kaplan, who is the founder of Parcel, which is going to change the way that you get deliveries. So Jesse, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Of course. Thank you, Ari. So first off, tell everybody what Parcel is. Sure. Parcel is the off-hours delivery service for online shoppers. So we can deliver your packages when you're actually home. So this obviously is fulfilling a need for people for people who don't have doormen or who just is something important. Maybe you don't want to be sitting outside your your door, for instance. But so how does it work? Sure. So all you have to do is go to our website at fromparcel.com and claim your parcel shipping address. From there, you enter that shipping address as your own at the checkout of any online order. And then as soon as your package arrives to our facility, we'll shoot you a text and then you choose a one-hour delivery window for that night. So, and, and how late, I mean, how late can you deliver? Right now, we deliver 7 to 11 p.m. and you can choose any one-hour window within that. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's really convenient, obviously. And uh, are, are you, do you have one, so I want to talk logistics a little because that's what a lot of people are going to be interested in. So do you have sure. one location where everything is going to, or, or how does, I mean, what's the, what's your facility like? Yeah, currently we have one warehouse that's in East Williamsburg and we're servicing all of Manhattan and starting to phase in different Brooklyn neighborhoods. Um, so all of our members are given a unique address to that Brooklyn facility as soon as the package arrives, we scan it into our system, which tells us exactly which recipient it needs to go to. And then that member is notified and asked to choose a delivery window that's convenient. Now, how is it actually being delivered? Is it by car or by bike? Like, what's, how's that work? Yeah, right now it's all by car. We have our own fleet of parcel vans as of just a few weeks ago. So that's been exciting. And we have our own in-house drivers as well. So it's not being delivered by a random contractor or someone who just has a few hours free. They've all been employed. They're all employees who've been hired and trained by our staff and um, yeah, kind of a very vertically integrated logistics company. Okay. So then, and then how are you, man, like, I mean, so can it be any size package or does it, it doesn't matter? Right now it has to be under two feet in each dimension and no heavier than 30 pounds. But as we continue building out our infrastructure, our hope is definitely to uh, expand those limitations accordingly. Okay. But so like, for instance, what if you don't know, you know, like for, for example, I'm sure you've seen this many times now, but Amazon packaging is ridiculous the way that they package things. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, you'll have sure. something that's like the size of a golf ball in a box that's meant for a TV. So <laughs> how do people sort of plan ahead for that? Sure. So most sites tend to be pretty good about specifying the shipping dimensions. In case they don't, you can usually reach out to some of the customer service. But honestly, in the interest of keeping things as simple as possible for the consumer, if something arrives that's you know a little bit larger than those size and weight limitations, or it's something easily deliverable, like a poster that might be you know three feet long but only one inch wide, we're totally happy to accommodate that, and we'll usually still just shoot a quick note to the member, letting him or her know. Um, you're reminding him or her of those specifications and just making clear sort of the best ways to figure out what those dimensions might be for any future orders. Okay. Now, and, and then what, uh, what's the cost of the service? It's $5 per delivery and a delivery can involve multiple packages if they all arrive to you that day. Oh, wow. Okay. So, but, to, and can you let it build up for like the week or does it not work that way? <laughs> 
Yeah, and then some people are definitely starting to kind of batch together their orders and have us deliver to them periodically, um, which is exciting to see, definitely. For now, we still charge that same flat $5, but down the line, we might have a special pricing scheme for people who have, you know, a large number of packages that we're delivering frequently. And currently, the sole delivery has to fit within those size and rate restrictions. So, for instance, if you've got two boxes that are, you know, two feet in each dimension, that would be two different deliveries. Gotcha. Now, the, the the thing that I also find interesting here with in terms of logistics is that you're only delivering, I, I mean, not only because it's, it's really convenient, but you're only delivering between four hours of the day, you know, so 7 to 11 right. p.m. So that's that's got to be really helpful, actually, for you guys, I'm imagining. It is, yeah. It helps us build really smart, efficient routes during those hours since we know that we have a density in each neighborhood we're delivering to. And then the time it takes to get from one destination to the next is something closer to five minutes than 30 minutes or 40 minutes. Um, so from that standpoint, it definitely makes a lot of sense. Uh, those schedules came from all the customer interviews I conducted when I first came up with the idea. I met with 73 New Yorkers who didn't have doormen, and I asked them all every question, you know, how often they ordered online, what they currently did for their packages, how they'd like to be notified for a service like Parcel, what times of the day they were actually home, et cetera. And 7 to 11 p.m., or at least one hour within that, overlapped with each of the 73 customers I spoke to. So for now, we're definitely focused on the evening, but there are plans to expand into weekend hours and early morning hours as well. Yeah, so when I when I saw this, I immediately thought of Amazon lockers, you know, which came out a couple, I guess maybe a couple of years ago, where you know you right. have your Amazon package delivered to a location, but still you have to go to that location. You know, even of course it's more convenient than not getting the package, but if you have to like go to your local CVS or something, that does make it more annoying. This is for me as someone who has three little boys, uh, three kids, and to have to not have to do like one extra thing and just be able to get it to show up. That's Really amazing. So, first of all, <laughs> sure. you're solving such a huge pain point as far as I'm concerned, and the the pricing of it it makes it, it's really quite incredible. So, if you can share with me, if it's not too proprietary, I'm really curious about how you figure out the routing because that's something that's always fascinated to me. Yeah, definitely. So, the for now we're actually integrating with a third party routing software. Routing is a very complicated kind of algorithmic mess, and we started doing some of it in-house initially, but decided that there were companies who spent decades refining those technologies. So for now, we're integrating with, um, with a third-party API and feeding that into our system. But what's nice about that is we can still customize a lot of the information that we put into that routing system. So for instance, we time how long each delivery takes, so if a member lives on the eighth floor of a building and doesn't have an elevator, you know, to allow an extra you know, 60 to 90 seconds next time that member gets a delivery. And we oh, bake wow. in those, ex- yeah, exactly. So we bake in those expected delivery times into that routing software. So it is doing a pretty customizable job. Um, but as we move forward, we're definitely considering you know, different ways to, to build something in house that can match our needs as, as efficiently as possible. Okay, so that's the, okay. I, I gotta harp on this for a second because this is amazing to me. I, I guess I, I should have assumed that you could outsource uh, routing, but I, I guess I just it didn't even occur to me. So you you literally you're, you're just you, I mean I know you said you're gonna bring it in house some way, but you just have an API that you're using and it, it figures out the most efficient routes. That's exactly right. Most of the technology that we've built proprietarily is more automating the actual driver procedures rather than the actual order of the route. 
So, for instance, each driver uses our driver app, which tells him which packages to load into the vehicle, what order to go in, which is fed from that routing software, um, exactly how to get from one destination to the next, and then what to do when he gets there. So, for instance, a lot of members have sleeping children or broken buzzers, so they've requested that we shoot them a text or give them a call when we arrive, and the driver oh app makes all of that. Yeah, so we really try to make that delivery process as customizable as possible. Some members have you know, pretty specialized procedures where we have to enter in a door code and then go through a hidden staircase and leave it with a neighbor and ring the doorbell. So we have all of that baked into the system as well um, to make sure that operation is as seamless as possible for us and for the consumer as well. I'm just curious. I mean, and feel free to say no, but are, can you share with me which software are you using or which API are you using? Yeah, for routing, we've used a few. We started with Viamente, V-I-A-M-E-N-T-E, and now we're using Routist, R-O-U-T-I-S-T. <laughs> that's much more internet sounding. That's great, Routist. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so that's just fascinating. So, okay, so then this begs the bigger question then, of course, is sort of how did you sort of plan this company from the ground up? Because one thing that's I think is impressive in the world of virtual and automation and outsourcing is that you do have a physical warehouse and you are dealing with a very physical procedure. So, I mean, what does the team look like? Like, how did, how did this start out? Did you start with the warehouse? Like, wh- what did it look like to, to get here? Sure. So I moved to the city last summer and came home every single day to all these missed package slips cluttering my door and couldn't believe that I had to track it down all my packages on the weekends at the post office and sort of experienced the pain point firsthand, tried everything. You know, I tried Amazon Locker. I tried sending things to friends who had doormen. Just couldn't find anything simple out there. So after meeting with those 73 New Yorkers, I knew there was definitely a market for this, and I knew I wanted to get it off the ground as quickly and cheaply as possible. So to start, you know, I had just graduated college, and I pretty much no money whatsoever. So I was trying to figure out the cheapest way to to manage all those moving parts just to make sure there was traction on a small scale. And in the beginning, that entailed leasing a mailing address from a local co-working space. So we didn't have an office. We literally were just renting a mailing address where all of our first members, our alpha testers, if you will, would send all of their packages. And each day, I would pick those up, bring them to my apartment, <laughs> notify all of those members manually using a Google Voice account rebuilt, and then I'd actually get in the subway each night with an IKEA canvas bag and all of the packages that have been scheduled for that night. So it was very manual, very unscalable. That is awesome, but, though. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It sounds like a cliche startup story, but it's true. So I feel like I'm still allowed to tell it. <laughs> um, well, and, you know, and, and not to interrupt you because I, want, I really want you to finish, but the the whole process of less doing is to optimize, automate, outsource. And the optimization process is where, honestly, a lot of times you really have to do it yourself and see what it takes and see if the process itself works before you can start to make it better. So that's absolutely that was very I mean, much good for you. <laughs> Yeah, I needed to see how every single piece works before hiring someone to do any of it or developing a system that would automate it. So luckily, things took us took off pretty quickly. A few alpha testers told their friends, and their friends told their friends, et cetera. And we had, I think, three packages one Friday and 43 the following Monday. And it became clear I wasn't able to, to keep doing all the deliveries myself. 
And so at that point, I brought in a friend of mine who'd been helping out with some of the technology efforts. Um, he's now our full-time CTO, and he built the initial notification process for our customers so that I wouldn't be texting every single customer when a package arrives, of course. Um, and then I started hiring students to actually do the deliveries each night using zip cards, which seemed to be the, the cheapest and most flexible transportation option at the time. And gradually, I replaced my apartment with a small storage unit where the packages would be dropped off after they were picked up from that mailing address each day, also by a student I had hired. So kind of one by one, each piece of the operation became a little bit more scalable and a little bit more um, robust, but still we outgrew that limited infrastructure pretty quickly as well, and then kind of shifted our focus to, to raising the funds that would allow us to really get an infrastructure off the ground to facilitate the, the potential and the scaling of the business that we know were possible. Um, so just about a month ago, we've moved into that warehouse in East Williamsburg, leased our own fleet of vans, et cetera. And now we finally have the capacity to grow that we've literally never had before. So it's definitely an exciting time for us. Yeah. So, and it, I mean, it sounds like you've come a very long way very quickly. Uh, so now that you've figured this sort of, I mean, the system is sort of figured out. I mean, could you easily scale this to other cities now? We probably could. To be honest, our goal is definitely to refine the operation in New York City. Um, it's such a perfect first market for this just because of the huge population, the really amazing population density, and the incredibly high online shopping habits of the of the population here. So for now, we're really looking to kind of penetrate and dominate New York City as much as possible before regionally expanding. But as we start moving into Brooklyn and consider other nearby neighborhoods, we'll definitely get a better sense of you know when the right time might be to launch our next city. Okay, and what are I well? So I, I, right now, you're able to do all five boroughs or not? Um, right now, we're actually just Manhattan and then pieces okay. of Brooklyn. So okay. just a small piece of the city. Okay. And then uh, the really specific logistics question, but you know, there's all these services like virtual post mail and things like that where you, and earth class mail where you can have uh, mail forwarded to them and get it digitally and stuff. But you have to fill out a very specific um, U.S. Postal Service form to allow someone else to receive your mail. That, that's not an issue with packages? It's not. That's right. And because people are actually putting our shipping address on their orders, um, there's no sort of issue in terms of ownership. Oh, ah, right. Yeah. So it's, it's a much simpler process. Even the, yeah, a number of services kind of out there require a pretty complicated sign-up process or enrollment process where you have to bring a number of envelopes with your address and name on them to a post office, et cetera. Ours is a very simple 60-second online sign-up form, and then from there, all communications are handled via text message. So it's really the simplest user experience we could think of. Yeah, I, I mean, it's great. So what, I mean, how do you see, like, your, what, What's next? Like, what are the next really exciting goals? Sure. Um, a lot of consumer growth is definitely our goal. We're just starting to pursue a number of marketing and publicity initiatives to try to help as many New Yorkers without dormant get those packages as conveniently as possible. And then we're also pursuing a number of partnerships with online retailers. It took me um, just a few weeks after looking into the market opportunity to realize that on the other side of this, commerce world, retailers are experiencing these exact same problems. They're sure. paying for each repeated attempt that gets to you, and then when you reject the package or your building doesn't, you know, isn't there, no one's there to let the package in, they end up paying those return shipping fees, 
and then they often end up losing a really valuable customer through the ensuing frustration. So we've been getting tons of inbound interest from different retailers looking to integrate directly with us so that they could actually ship all their New York-bound orders to our facility in bulk and let us handle those deliveries directly. Um, so those retail partnerships are what we're starting to shift more and more of our focus to. We're building out the technology to allow us to integrate easily with checkout windows of online retailers, and we're also building out the operation to be able to process those bulk shipments and deliver those packages individually. So that sort of business opportunity is something that we're definitely thinking a lot about and going to be moving more quickly into as soon as we you know, continue building up that infrastructure. Okay. And then what is it, what does the team look like right now other than you? Sure. There are four of us full time. Um, that's me, our CTO, our director of operations and our community manager. And then we have six part-time operations workers who process the packages during the day, run the warehouse and actually deliver those packages at night. Wow. Okay. Uh, and it's uh, as someone who's like kind of just geeks out on the logistics. I just, I really love this. So, um, <laughs> thank you. It's rare. I think so much of the kind of innovation today is using technology as a product in and of itself. And for parcel specifically, technology is really a tool that we use to automate every level of the operation and the customer experience. And I think that more and more companies are starting to realize the there's value in technology beyond just providing a technological service. So, it's an exciting, um, kind of exciting way to be using tech in a very offline way. Have, have there been any sort of mishaps along the way or like really big learning experiences? Sure. The, I'm pretty obsessive and detail-oriented, so few things have kind of slipped through the cracks, which is great. Um, it's also kept me pretty stressed and busy, for sure. <laughs> um, so nothing really comes to mind, but I also you know, would say each step of the of the process of interviews its own challenges and it's been uh, the most amazing learning process I've ever encountered. Um, and I'm sure we're just at the beginning. Cool. Well, so, okay. So since you, I mean, you've grown this so quickly and in such a really awesome way, I, the, the last question that I always like to ask on the podcast is what are your top three tips for people to be more effective? And that can really mean anything and from sort of anything that you've learned, but what are your sort of top three things that you know, pe- help people be more effective? Sure. Oh, that's a good question. Um, the first thing I would say, which is something that took me a long time to realize was that there is a lot of value in really establishing a routine. I tend to be someone who you know, thrives in dynamic scenarios where I go days without sleeping and then days where I just sleep straight through them. <laughs> and I realized very quickly you know, that's really not an efficient way to be kind of using your time, especially when there's a huge responsibility of, of running a business. So just kind of allocating a number of hours each day to sleep or to fitness or to whatever kind of helps you take your mind um, off of everything else is, is a hugely important tip. Um, another thing I would say is, you know, be really conscious of how you're using your time. I tend to feel like I can do so many things and try to take on as much as possible. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that there are certain things I'm spending time on that someone else could be doing just as good a job of. And as you know, the founder and CEO of this company, I'm starting to realize I should be kind of spending my time on the pieces of the business that you know, no one else could be doing as good a job with and really finding what that you know, comparative advantage or whatever the economic term is. Um, so that would be my second tip. Um, and my third would definitely be just you know, surround yourself with as many supportive people as possible, especially when you're doing something 
it's so stressful and so unfamiliar and draining. Um, it's important to have certain people who are you know really removed from that process, but still know you and understand you, whether that's you know close friends or family members. Um, those kind of support systems are exceptionally important to have in place when uh, when each day is filled with so many moving parts and so many you know potential um, potential frustrations. Those are great ones. Well, Jesse, thank you so much. Where, where can people find out more and sign up for Parcel if they live in the New York area right now? Sure. Our website is fromparcel.com. That's F-R-O-M-P-A-R-C-E-L.com. Awesome. Jesse, thank you very much. It's been really fun talking to you. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell, and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.